This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. Now, in this series of messages, happiness is in you. I want to show you that it's actually Jesus who said that. Happiness is in you. You don't have to go looking for it. It's in you. When Jesus sat on that grassy knoll where I've been there many times, and he began to teach, he was basically saying this. He was saying that happiness is not an external condition that you need to work hard to get it, (laughs) and the Beatitudes is like a stepping stairs going upward. It's a superstructure. This is not just little bits and pieces of, you know, happy this, happy this. This is already structured in the mind of the Lord Jesus. We're going to see this more and more in the next several messages. But in every one of those, Jesus is saying the secret to happiness is not getting what you want. In fact, sometimes that leads to unhappiness. But it is contented with what you have. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Only one verse, Matthew 5, 3. Happy, blessed, makarios. Can you say makarios with me? Makarios. That's what the Greek word is. Are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus always turned the world upside down. Upside down. Our culture says, happy are you when you are aggressive and proactive, for you get your way. (laughs) Jesus said, no. The secret of happiness are in those who are broken on the inside. Happy are the ones who feel helpless without God's power in their life. My friend, listen, please. The true happy people who are God's people, who feel desperate and empty in themselves, but full with God. Why? Because they have a true view of their condition. In psychology, uh, today it's a big buzzword, self-awareness. Self-awareness, having the accurate view of yourself. They are truly happy and blessed, but some just don't know about it. Today you will. (laughs) And that is why we need to discover it, and discover it within. When you feel helpless and hopeless, when you feel so unworthy of the amazing grace, that is the time when you discover the secret to real happiness. Some people will find it very hard to comprehend that. How can that be? How can that be? when everything around us is saying the opposite. That's true. Why? Because the world's definition of happiness is being exhilarated by pleasure, by accomplishment, by achievements, by winning the lottery, by this and by that and by promotion. Or by... But these things are all temporary at best. True happiness, true blessing, true joy is different. Why? Because 
your brokenness on the inside, your total dependence on God on the inside is your true qualification for inheriting the kingdom of heaven, and that is the secret of your happiness. And that is why this brokenness or poverty of spirit is the first step I'm showing to you, because he, he starts with that, but then he keeps moving, and I'm going to come to that in a minute. That's the first step. In fact, that's the first step to become a believer in Jesus. That's the first step. Poverty in spirit is the only way to discover salvation and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This, my beloved friends, is like a debit card that is handed to you with no limit on credit. In fact, it takes you up all of the steps for all the other qualification for true happiness. And say, how come? Well, with Jesus, the way up is down. (laughs) And you must begin at the bottom. You must start at the first rung. That's the beginning. But it doesn't stop there. Humbly acknowledging your desperation for God, you'll see it continues on in that superstructure, the Beatitudes. You go from brokenness before God, declaring emptiness and and bankruptcy in self. It begins there, then it moves on forward to mourning over sin, not taking pride in it, but mourning over it, to meekness, which is power under control, and on and on and on. But everything in the Christian life, everything begins with the brokenness of spirit, brokenness on the inside. There's something else here I don't want you to miss. Why being broken on the inside or being poor in spirit is the first rung of the ladder? It's because you have to stay broken all the way up and all the way to heaven, to the top of the ladder. Experiencing poverty in spirit, not just a one-time experience and then you get over it. No, 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 no. It starts at salvation and it continues for the rest of your earthly life as a believer in Jesus. Maybe that's why I cry so much more now than I did when I was younger, and I'm happy about it. (laughs) I'm increasingly, increasingly broken before God. Ever since that day in 1964, I am more and more broken spirit every day, every year that passes, and I could not be more happy. My contentment cannot be greater. My joy cannot be sweeter, even though my brokenness is on the increase. Let me give you an illustration. Back in the 1700s at Oxford University in England, being a class society. It's a class society. They're just built on class. Most of the students who come to Oxford University were wealthy. But then the university gave a chance to the bright students who are poor to also be accepted, small number, but they have to do one thing. They have actually had to serve the rich students And so the rich students pay for it. So these basically servants, students who are servants to the rich students, they will shine their shoes, they'll make their laundry, they'll clean the room. 
John Wesley founded the Methodist Church, so he give you that idea, but there's a lot more than that. John Wesley came to Oxford University at the age of 21. Even though he grew up in an Anglican rector's home, even though he had a godly praying mother, even though John Wesley was gifted, he was intelligent, and all he was good-looking, but he was also cynical, snobbish, sarcastic. His butler, his servant, Enoch, was another student who was poor, godly, but poor. And he had to do the servant task for John Wesley. One day, John Wesley looked at him in his cynical, sarcastically asked him, remember this was a godly student, and Wesley said, what else do you thank God for? And this student servant smiled greatly and said to him, I thank him that he has given me my life and my being, and he gave me a heart to love him, and above all else, love him, and a constant desire to serve him by serving others. This was a turning point in John Wesley's life. Later on, he met some Moravian, and he learned salvation by grace, but But this was a turning point. I want you to fast forward to 1791, when John Wesley was dying at the age of 88. He attributed his whole ministry to that encounter with that poor student, that humble, poor student. Would you like to know who that was? It was no other than George Whitfield, who changed America. The preaching of John Wesley, even secular historians are saying that it has ignited the revival, but also ignited the American Revolution. George Whitfield, humility in every way. Beloved, listen to me. Don't ever fall in the trap of thinking that only the big shots, the arrogant, the celebrities, the haughty are the ones who matter. No, and a million knows. Jesus said, It is to the contrary. Brokenness on the inside is the evidence of true happiness. Hear me right. It's only when you realize that you have no bargaining power with God. A lot of people want to bargain with God. We heard a lot about quid pro quo. And that's why people want to say, God, I'll do this for you, and he do that for me, God. No, 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 no. It is only when you realize that you have no bargaining power with God, no personal credit other than his righteousness that he credits you, that when you only ask for mercy and have nothing to give back in exchange, it is only when you are spiritually bankrupt and desperate for him when you realize that you cannot broker a deal with God, when you realize that you are totally at His mercy, only then can you shout for joy. You can shout for joy. Augustus, the lady who lived between 1710 and 1778, said the following words in the song we used to sing in this church, "'Nothing in my hand I bring.'" simply 
To thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, look at this, foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I'll die. This, my beloved friend, is what the modern preachers call the old-fashioned gospel. That's the old-fashioned gospel. That's the only going to be preached in this church as long as God gives me breath. That's the old-fashioned gospel. Oh, they want to preach the gospel of self-esteem and the gospel of self-image and the gospel of tolerance and the gospel of prosperity and success, but not the old-fashioned gospel. The tragedy is that the further we depart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more we will look for things to make us happy, and they never will, because happiness is like a bar of wet soap. Have you ever tried to grasp a bar of wet soap in your hand, tight? Have you ever tried that? Try it one time. Okay, just try it. I mean, psst, it will go away from you. Every time you grab it, it will go away from you. And you try to grab it again, psst, it will go away from you. And while Jesus is saying happiness is in you, you just need to know how to go about it. You need to discover it. Because the first step on the road to happiness is brokenness over my sin. Not this, well, you know, well, because everybody makes mistakes, and, you know, who are you to judge? And, and you know, nobody's perfect. Uh, we all not, we're all broken. Everybody's broken. This is a broken world. And, no, this is, we're all sinners, and God understands. No. No. These are all excuses to continue in sin. But it's what you do about it. It will bring you happiness, or lack thereof. The kind of happiness that they want to sell you, and they want you to be dependent on whatever it is they sell you. That's why it's like salt water, Jesus said. The more you drink salt water, the the more you thirst. You're parched, and and you want to drink, and you want to drink. And the more you drink, you want to drink, and you can't stop. But the living water that Jesus gives, it produces from within you a fountain of sweet water. Happiness from within. Beloved, listen to me. The devil always plays up to people's foolishness and greed. Always does. The devil makes us think that somebody else makes you happy. Nothing will make you happy except poverty in spirit. Question, what is poverty in spirit? What is poverty in spirit? I'm glad you asked because I really want to answer that. And I want to explain it, because sometimes using the word poor is, is, is really, in the way we use it today, and in the way it was used in the time of Jesus, are very different. Because today, somebody who doesn't have money, doesn't have homeless, somebody is, is, is we call poor. He's poor. Or if somebody not doing well at school, they say, well, he's doing poorly in school. Or if somebody's health is deteriorating, we say, well, he's doing poorly. Right? That's how we use the word. But poor in spirit does not mean that a person doing poorly spiritually. It doesn't mean that at all. If somebody is not praying, not spending time with God, and the Word of God is not doing anything for God, and say, well, he's, no, 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 that's not what it means. That's not what it means. Poor in spirit means being conscious 
of my personal emptiness without God, poor in spirit, is an indication that you recognize that you cannot save yourself. It is when the Holy Spirit reveals to me that my true sinful nature, and my sinfulness, and that I no longer deceive myself and thinking that I'm a good guy or I'm a good person. I'm a good… No, 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 no. It is a discovery that all of my self-righteousness is but a filthy rag in the sight of God. Poor in spirit is the awakening of my spirit and recognizing that the, my performance is not acceptable to God, but only Jesus' work on the cross on my behalf is my only hope to be accepted by God. <laughs> Poverty in spirit is when I recognize that without Jesus, I was heading for eternal hell and destruction. There's something else I don't want you to miss. It doesn't mean that when you come to Jesus, confessing your sin, repenting of your sin, and receiving Him as your only Savior and Lord, confessing your poverty of spirit, that He's going to give you happiness. Here it is. No. Poverty in spirit is happiness because the reward is heaven for that poverty of spirit. Listen to me. Happiness is a consequence, not a reward. The king of the kingdom does not bestow gifts to make you happy, but rather he creates a condition within you to enable you to discover happiness and contentment. Listen to me. Happiness is an inside job. Can you say that with me? Happiness not on the outside. Happiness has deep roots, not outward circumstances. How does this work? You don't find happiness in marriage. Oh, I know people say, if I get married, I'm just the right person, I'm going to be happy. Let me tell you something. You won't find happiness in marriage. You take happiness to marriage. You do not find happiness in the job, no matter how good it is. You take happiness to the job. You do not find happiness in the church. No, you take happiness to the church. Can I get an amen? amen? And if you want to be governed by the king, begin and continue to keep on confessing your brokenness before him. Keep on confessing your spiritual bankruptcy without God. Keep on it. Keep at it. Listen to me. Those who are poor in spirit are those to whom the pride of the will and the pride of the intellect and the pride of the heart are bending to the king. Poverty in spirit emanates from the very act of submission. Is the secret to continuous happiness because those elations you get because of some circumstances, they just, they come and go. I'm talking about continuous happiness. You want to know the secret to continuous happiness? Do you? Stay broken before God. You don't depart from that brokenness and move on to mourning over your sin as the next gratitude. No, 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 no. You stay broken all the way up the stairs, <laughs> all the way. You stay broken. 
In fact, in my case, as I already told you, that brokenness started some 50 years ago, plus it grows deeper and deeper. But within that brokenness, I discovered contentment and joy inexplicable. One last thing I'll tell you before I conclude. Brokenness is the foundation. It's a start, but continues. The rest of the Beatitudes build on that foundation. They build on that foundation, that superstructure. The reward for brokenness is the same as being persecuted for the sake of Christ. Did you notice why? I'm telling you why. Because heaven is as good as it gets. There are some preachers saying your best life is now, not on your life. If this is the best life, I want you to keep it. Heaven is as good as it gets. Heaven is beyond description. Heaven is beyond imagination. Heaven is your greatest inheritance. Give God praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 